sense right now, but it will in a minute. Just hang with me. Man, uh, so last week, as, as we were getting started, I had a little app malfunction. I went to close an app, and I'm going to steal some of And it was after the service that I realized this thing has a, um, a Bluetooth keyboard that I set haphazardly on a chair, and someone sat on it. And so it was scrolling because somebody was sitting on the down key. So I let the keyboard at home today, so hopefully we won't have a problem. Did I need a, yeah, Mike, holler at right there. There we go. So, see, all that won't be on the recording now. Fantastic. <laughs> so last week's message was, um, it felt strong. Like it's not, and we talked about this a little bit, it wasn't the kind of message that you typically expect to hear the weekend before Christmas, right? Um, we looked at the story of the three wise men, which is a little uh, ahead of what you traditionally would do. We looked at Matthew 2, verses 1 through 23. And, and it's about how the, the three wise men, who were not Jewish men, were seeking out the Messiah. And that story includes the interaction between Herod and these wise men, uh, but it also includes the death of Herod and his son and how those feelings that, had, that Herod had towards Jesus are passed on to his, his son. I made really kind of three points, and honestly for me, like even as I was writing them, they kind of carried what I would consider a negative tone, um, which is I've shared with you guys before. I don't like doing uh, often, but it's what the Lord had for us. And so these are the three points that I made. Number one is that God's people had missed him. His own people, the ones who had all the information, who had all the prophecies, who had all that at their disposal, and even had certain men that were set aside with the purpose of communicating with God on behalf of the people, they all missed it. The Messiah came, and they were unaware that he was there. And so these three men who were not God's people had to come and tell them, hey, by the way, the Messiah has showed up. And so I, I talked about how my, my fear is that it's for us as a, as a people that we can become complacent where we are and that we too, even though we have all the information, we know how to access God, that we might miss what he's trying to do in our own lives. Point number two I made was that, that God's people hated him. We see this in Herod, we see this in his son, we see this in the, the scribes and Pharisees, that they had a ton of hatred towards the Messiah, that that wasn't what they were expecting, and as a result of that, they condemned him to death, and also when they couldn't find him, all the children of that age from that region. Um, and so we talk a lot here about what it means to abide in Christ and obeying what he says. But when we ignore what God calls us, what he calls us to do, if it's something that we don't like, that we are expressing that same kind of sentiment because we're taking a work that God is trying to do. We talk about how God is his word. In John chapter 1, we see that. And so when we are ignoring what God's calling us to do, that we are taking that same sentiment that Herod and his son take with Jesus. We would rather see the death of that work than allow him to make the changes that are required in our lives. That uncomfortableness, that change that is required from us. Sometimes we, we don't desire that because it's going to be uncomfortable. And then the third point was that God's people pass down death. We talked about how the habits, the attitudes, and the responses to God's prompting that we exhibit in our lives are going to be passed to future generations. And so if we make it a habit of disobeying God when we know that he's spoken, even if we don't verbalize that to our children and to the other generations around us, they're going to pick up on that. And that's what's going to be passed. We see that happen in Herod's life and in his son. Um, and so on the heels of that message, I had a church member text me this, okay? This person had some really good questions, and their sentiment was that they wanted to grow in their relationship with God and fulfill their call in the body. That was the sentiment in which the text was, was sent to me, but they had some questions, okay? In response to that message and our repeated request from the pulpit, 
both from, me, from myself and from Glenn, to do our ABCs, this person asked, what does it even look like? Which I think is an incredibly good question. I was really encouraged by that, and I want to tell you why I was encouraged. That's kind of what the message is going to focus around today. What God wants from you and what God wants from me, I'm going to shut this door because I'll be distracted if I don't. What he wants from us is for us to know him. Have you ever had a preacher preach at you from behind a Christmas tree? This could be fun. Just do it like this all day. What God wants is for us to know him. That's what he wants from me and that's what he wants from you. And I want that for, for myself and I want that for you as well, right? And so what uh, this person is asking is, is for clarification, and this is encouraging to me because this person was taking the time to reflect on their own relationship with God and say, God, I'm hearing from the pulpit that there's some things missing in my life, so please show me what those things are. Are you feeling that with me? I, I hope, and I communicate with this person, I hope that everyone's doing that. They realize that there's something missing and they want to know what they can do to fix it. Okay? And that was kind of the final point of the text was, tell me what I need to fix so that I can fix it. And I so identify with that because I'm a fixer. Right? My wife... I, I'm not supposed to mention her from the pulpit. She gets mad at me when I do, but she's not here, so I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, often, she will express a, a, a problem in her life or in the life of our family, and my immediate response is to try to just fix the problem. But a lot of times, we don't need to do that. That's not what we need to be doing, and specifically in this person's life and in your person's life. Look, it's not my job, and I, and I try to explain this, it's not my job to nitpick your life and say, here are all the things that you're doing wrong and you should fix them, right? Nobody wants that, Right? You don't, especially not from the pulpit. You don't want me to call out your sin and say, hey, here's a problem in your life, you need to fix it, okay? So that's first. The second thing is, is that all of us are in different places in our lives and in our relationship with God. And so when I speak from, from this platform, I have to do so in very general terms, right? Because all of us are in different places. On any given Sunday, we may have some very seasoned people. That's a nice way of saying old. We might have brand new believers, we might have people who aren't believers who are seeking, and, and everything in between. And we know that none of us are perfect, and that there's room for improvement in every one of our lives. And so with that being said, there's always room for all of us to make improvement. There's, there's some room for us to improve our relationship with God. And so that means that the messages are always going to be re relevant, but the degree of action is going to vary based on where each of us is in our relationship with God. Does that make sense? All right, so this is not the first time that I've heard questions like this either, either. Over the years, we've had very similar conversations in my life group, and we have to remember that the varying degrees of difference in our attendance on any given Sunday, and, and the, the goal is, is that we are all on an upward plane of growth, right? Our trajectory is always moving up, that we're always growing, we're always learning. So the goal for us today is I want us to kind of take a step back. It, I, it dawned on me, if, if those of you that were, were here when we did the core group training when we were in Aaron's office, would you just raise your hand real quick? Three, four. Okay. Four of the people in this room were there for that. We covered some really important stuff, and, and I have a tendency to just assume that because I was there, that everyone else was there as well. And so we covered, we talked about some things and some in some different language than we often do. You know, when we talk about abiding, my tendency and Glenn's tendency is to just kind of brush across the surface of it because we think everyone's heard this so many times, right? And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment today and just kind of walk through the ABCs again. And we're going to use some different language than I typically do with the goal of us understanding 
what God's calling us to do and to be as a church. This is in preparation for, for what's to come next year. Okay, I've been praying and asking the Lord about that. And, and here's what I want from, for all of us, right? I, this, this week, my, my daily readings have had me in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and, and the sentiment or the, what's happening in that book is that Solomon is looking back over the course of his life and said, I've experienced all of these things, and it's just vanity. It's just vanity. And I don't want you and I to get to the end of our lives and go, man, I, there was so much more to, that I could have experienced in my relationship with God had I just done a little bit more, had I just been a little bit more devoted. Okay, so today we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about abiding first. And so the first point I want to make today is that abiding is a continual growth process. Okay, again, thinking about that upward trajectory. Abiding is a continual growth process. One of the reasons that we always talk about abiding because that is what a relationship with God is. Abiding is what any relationship is. And we're going to, we're going to break that down. The first thing that we want to talk about is that, um, that it increases our knowledge of God. Okay. So abiding is the process by which we know God. Just reading your Bible, studying, gathering a bunch of knowledge is not enough. The scribes and the Pharisees, we looked at this last week with the, with the three wise men, they had all of those things. They could quote Scripture from memory, but they missed what God was doing over and over and over again. This is a step in the process, but unfortunately, it's where a lot of people stop. They go, if I just open up my Bible and I just read it and I study it and I learn it, that that's enough, but it's not. It's an important part of the process, but we can't stop there. Okay, so step number one in this abiding is increasing in the knowledge of God. We, we have this, this uh, scripture in our distinctive study as you go through new member training, and it says this in Philippians 3.10, it's in the Amplified Version. It says, For my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonder of his, wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope. Look, this is a point that Paul makes over and over and over again, that just knowing about God is not enough. You hear in this text this idea, again, of continual growth, that it never stops. Paul knew as much about God, if not more than most of his peers. But it wasn't until God revealed himself that it meant anything. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Paul says this, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And as I would, was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. Paul is saying, I knew all the scriptures, but it was not until the Son of God was revealed to me that it made any sense. We need to study the scriptures. We cannot know God without doing so. David says the same thing in the first psalm. This is Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
The point of Scripture is to reveal God to us and then to know God through His revelation. We have to be careful, though, that we don't get hung up in any one area of the abiding cycle. We've talked about that before. We have a tendency, because of our history, to just stop at this point, to think that if I just study the Bible enough, I'll know God. I'll understand Him. And that's part of it, but it's not all of it. It's beneficial, but that does not allow the Holy Spirit to work that Scripture through us to make us more like Christ, which is the goal. Paul, again, is a great example of this. He knew the Scripture. He could recall it from memory, yet he completely misses that Christ is the Son of God while he's alive. And in that error, he's working against God, not for or with God. This is a common tactic of the enemy. He allows us to get all puffed up with knowledge our pride takes over and pretty soon we've made it all about us because look how smart we are look how much scripture we know so as we study scripture we need to engage the holy spirit that lives inside of us as believers and let god reveal himself to us through his scripture so the second part of that cycle is being filled with the knowledge of his will and i want you to listen closely because this is different from the first being filled with the knowledge of his will the first was knowing God, and the second is knowing His will. If we are to be in relationship with anyone, including God, it's important that we know the other half of, and know what they want out of that relationship, right? Imagine being in a relationship where the other person was obsessed with knowing about you, but didn't take the time to learn what makes, what makes you tick. That's called a stalker, right? God wants us to not just know about Him, but to know what He desires, to know what makes him tick, to know his heart. Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that there's more that he wants them to experience. This passage comes right after the, the teaching on the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. And Jesus is explaining that they're going to face many hardships for following him. And then he says this, this is John 16 verses 12 through 15. He says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So not only are we learning about who God is through his word, but we also discover what he's doing in our lives. That scripture is informing the right now. Not only... Not only what has happened in the past and what is happening currently, but also what is to come in the future. I didn't plan on sharing this story today, but, but Kobe did this song, Waymaker. And I want to read you a few of the lyrics, and I want to remind you of something that happened in my life. Many of you know that, that um, in 2017, end of 2017, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, right? And so in the moment, in, that, in the middle of that, I was obviously devastated. And so I went to God and said, God, inform me about how I need to deal with this. Show me your perspective. And God gave me a very clear word that Bethany was going to be okay. He didn't say she didn't have cancer, but he told me she was going to be okay. A few weeks later, a friend of mine sent me this song, Waymaker. And the chorus says, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And I sang this song over and over and over through that year to remind myself that the Lord had spoken. That not only was God alive when the scriptures were written, but that he is alive now and that he's speaking, that he's made a promise to me. And then he fulfilled that promise. He spoke and he revealed himself in his ways so that I could walk with him, understanding and knowing what was to come. 
in the future. Was my wife going to be okay or not? So we moved from head knowledge to actual experience because in addition to knowing about God, we're asking the Holy Spirit to work in us and thereby we are conformed into Christ's likeness. We are transformed into these new creations as Romans talks about. And our lives are changed. So the third thing that happens is that we then begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died of this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. This is another place where we often get tripped up. We read this and we immediately begin to make a list, right? We see this passage. It's often quoted for the purpose of behavior modification, right? We hear people quote this and we say, okay, get your life right. You got to be perfect before Jesus. And we start making that list of things we should and shouldn't do. And along with people quoting that, they say the phrase that I hate, which is, is fake it till you make it, which is like the opposite of the gospel. Ain't none of us going to make it till we get to heaven. Be who you are. That's enough. We default to thinking that this is something that we are responsible for. And it's true that we need a desire to live this way, but we need to understand that, that it's God who does this work inside of us. And that if we didn't desire it, then we'd be fighting against it. However, this is not something we do in our strength, our wisdom, or our power. Instead of us trying to do this on our own, we need to ask God to make these changes in our heart. I shared this story with, with my life group a few I don't know, weeks, months ago. I don't remember now. But whenever I was in high school and early college, I could make a sailor blush with my language. It was not great, okay? I had a really bad mouth. And, and during that time period, God called me to ministry, and so I, became, I began some behavior modification. And I was very good at not saying those things out loud. But as I was growing in my relationship with the Lord, I'd like stub my toe and all those words are running through my mind, and I began to hate it. Now, it was a source of pride when I was younger, but as I was growing in the Lord, those things did not give me joy or pleasure anymore, but they were still there, and I didn't know how to fix it. And so I began to ask the Lord, I said, God, I, I don't like this. You have revealed some sin in my life. I'm not saying it out loud, but it's still happening, and it's still sin. So please, get this out of me. And it didn't happen overnight, but eventually... Those words, those ideas, those concepts just stopped coming to mind. And I'll never forget the first time that I ever injured myself, which I do a lot. I was demoing a house and I stepped through the studs in the house and a nail was sticking out and it caught me in the ribs. And the first thing that came to mind was the fact that they pierced Jesus' side. And I know that sounds uber Christian and weird, but that's just what happened, okay? Where in the past it would have been a lot of explicatives, it wasn't. And it wasn't because I decided I wasn't going to curse anymore. It's because I asked the Holy Spirit to make a change in my life and in my heart, and He did so. It wasn't will that did it, it was God. So as we're abiding and discovering who God is, being filled with the knowledge of who He is, we are made like Him. And the result of all of that is that we are walking in a manner that is worthy. You see that? That walking in a manner that's worthy is not something that we do. It's a result of what God is doing in our life as we pursue Him. And because we're allowing God to do all this through us, the final result is that we're bearing fruit, which is the fourth part of that abiding cycle. Is that we are bearing fruit in every good work. Look at Colossians 1, 9-10 with me. 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Y'all hear all those processes in there? They're there. And all four of those are wrapped around one another, and none can happen without the other. You can't pick and choose. This isn't Piccadilly. You've got to get them all at one time. Does anybody get the Piccadilly reference? Okay, thank you. That was a restaurant where you, it was like a cafeteria, and you pick what side you want, okay? We don't get to do that. You get all of them or you get none. It's important for us to understand that God is doing this work, though. Look at John fifteen five. This is where the abiding cycle, where it kind of first came from. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All we have done is submitted ourselves and obeyed what God said. That's all we can do. That's the only part of the process we get to have any any, any decision-making in is, okay, God has spoken. Am I going to do what he says or am I not? A great example of this is the community garden. I know we talked about this last week and then we announced it Wednesday night, but I wanted to kind of give you guys an update on what's going on. Debbie and Brittany both separately received a word from God that this was to happen, unbeknownst to both of them. I shared this story with you guys last week. God had also given me a word about that years ago, but it wasn't my task to do. And so Brittany and and Debbie receive this word about it, and then they seek the Lord on their own about the specifics. And God gives them a, a, a shared vision for the church and the community and how he wants to accomplish that. And so they responded, they, they shared that with people around them. We put them together and said, hey, God's been speaking the same thing to both of y'all. They got together, had coffee, they cried a lot, it was wonderful, okay? And then Wednesday night, uh, Miss Debbie was not able to be here, but Brittany announced it, she did a sign-up. We had community people here, which by the way, if you came to the Christmas party, it was incredible, thank you so much. If you weren't able to be here, you really missed out, it was good, okay? And so Brittany, at the end of it, she announces this vision that God has given for us and several of the adults from this community, which we had been praying about, came at the end and was like, hey, I'd be really interested in that. One of them is a guy that lives next door. We know both his sons. They come on a regular basis. And he's like, man, I used to live in Mississippi. I grew up on a farm. I would love to be a part of this. Man, look what God's doing. And it's not because I or Brittany or Miss Debbie or anybody tried to just go do a good work. It's because we sought God, we read the scripture, and we said, God, we feel like you're saying this. Give us the specifics. Show us what you're trying to do so that we can play a role in that. Through the process of abiding, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And the result of that life is us being transformed into his likeness. When we've made it our determined purpose to know God and his desire for us, we are being made more like him through that process. And we will be able to accomplish far more than we ever imagined because what we imagine is what we are capable of. But when we are relying on God, He is able to do what He can think of. Just like Jesus was being directed by the Father to specific people in His life, we also are going to be drawn to specific people and specific things by the Father. Jesus says over and over, we're going to look at this in a minute, that that He doesn't do things on His own. The outpouring of our abiding is going to be a desire to share what we're discovering about God with the people that are around us. That's just the natural thing that happens. 
Just like Miss Debbie and Brittany had so much joy in sharing with you guys last week about this word that God had been speaking in our lives about building a community garden. So, blessing. That's the second item we want to talk about today. That was abiding, okay? That's a little bit different language than we usually use. But I wanted, my hope is, is that you guys can see that and you can grasp and understand that it's a lot more than just a thing that we say that we do. But it's the process in which we come to know the Lord. So the second thing is, is the second big item I want to talk about today is that Jesus was a blesser. We use this acrostic a lot. We're going to work through it in just a minute. But I want you to see this. Jesus went to people, right? That's his ministry. He goes to people. Jesus was abiding in the Father, and he went where the Father led. He spoke to and worked in the lives of the people that he was drawn to by the Father. I was telling a good friend of mine about this process a few weeks ago. And from the time I first met him, I was drawn to him. I don't know why, I can't explain it, but the first time we met, I thought, this is a guy that I want to have a relationship with, okay? I knew that God was speaking that, and as I began to develop that relationship with him, I, it, it was, it was kind of neat, and it wasn't for the purpose of fixing him. That's not what God was saying, and that's not what we're trying to do through the blessing process. We're just being obedient to what God is saying, and so I felt drawn to him by the Holy Spirit, and so I began to pursue him. Jesus says... Uh, it, the, the first part of that blessing is beginning with prayer. And I want to read these scriptures to you because I want you to get a full understanding of what's happening here. We begin with prayer. That's the be and bless. John chapter 5 verses 19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John 5, 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but just speak as the Father taught me. Jesus' defining practice is prayer. He begins with it, and he only does, and he only says what the Father does and says. And so for us, praying for those that God is leading us to helps keep them on our minds. That's why we begin with prayer. We begin with prayer because it gives God the opportunity to give us ideas about how to love and bless those people. It keeps us focused on being totally dependent on Him. And praying for people is blessing people. The L, listen to them. Jesus always listened. People want to talk and tell you about their lives, right? No, I've never met a person who doesn't like to tell you about themselves. And so part of the way we bless is that we listen. And we need to listen to people in a way that, that they know that we're listening, right? We need to listen actively the right way. We need to process what they're saying. We need to clean the lens or the filter of your own bias so that's not getting in the way. I have a lot of people that I work with who have very different political beliefs than I do. And they are very vocal about their political beliefs. But if I expressed my political beliefs and refuted the things that they were saying, then immediately that puts a divide between us and I no longer have the ability to speak truth in their lives because all they hear from me is argument. It's not about me being right or being wrong. It's about me being a good listener and not letting my bias get in the way. We need to listen optimistically. We need to listen organically with no agenda, but just being present in the moment. We need to pay attention to what their body language is saying. Are they comfortable? Are they uncomfortable? And then we, we need to not think ahead. I'm so bad about this. 
I, I, my brain works differently than a lot of people's. I process information a lot slower. And so my tendency is when someone's talking is I'm thinking about the thing I'm going to say at the end because it takes me a little while to get all that gathered up, right? That's not a great listener because I'm not listening. I'm hearing them, but I'm not listening because I'm processing what's going to come out of my mouth next because I'm making it about me. The second thing is the E. Sorry, the third. We've been B, L, and now we're at E. Eat with them. Jesus ate with people. Some of the, the most defining moments in his ministry happened around a meal. And when we eat with someone, it communicates love and acceptance, and it, it provides help with listening because your mouth is full while they're talking, right? Glenn used to always say, you know you're a good listener when you're eating a meal and you're completely done and they haven't even hardly started. You're doing a great job of listening. Prepare a meal for someone. Accept invitations to go eat with someone else. The first S is serve them. Jesus served those around them without reservation. Listen to and for the needs of the people that you're spending time with. And this should be our natural tendency as believers, right? This is what Jesus does. He listens for the needs and then he meets those needs as the Father leads. We need to show an interest in the things that they like. A great way to serve somebody is to let them teach you something. It's to be present enough and humble enough to say, man, would you teach me how you just did that? Because that was kind of neat. And that's a way of serving them because they're getting to share something that they're passionate about. And then the last S is share the gospel. The best way that we can bless someone is to give them Jesus, right? But we do that as the Spirit leads in His timing, just like Jesus. We don't step out in front of God and just try to pour the gospel down their throats because that's not how Jesus did it. He went through this process and He waited until the Father said, to say the things, and then he said them. And you shouldn't feel like, look, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're working this blessed acrostic, if you get to a place where you're like, it's time to share the gospel, but my friendship might end, it's not time to share the gospel. Right? Because you don't really have a friendship. You have a project. It should be expected that you share the gospel because that's what the relationship has been built on. That person should know you well enough that they know that God is part of your life. You haven't necessarily pushed that. There are people in my life who know that I'm a believer. They know that I'm a pastor, but I don't push myself on them. I wait for the Holy Spirit to do that, and because of that, they're more willing to have conversations with me. The sacrifice of sharing should be on our part, not on theirs. If there's a sacrifice to be made as we share the gospel, I need to be the one making that sacrifice, not the person that I'm sharing it with. And it's not the culmination of the relationship. You don't get to, the, to this point and you go, oh, share the gospel. All right, who's my next project? And move on. These relationships are to be long-lasting. All right, and then the last thing, committed to communities. Those are the product of devoted believers. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. We studied this when we were talking about committed communities. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were made, or were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The overflow of what the early church was experiencing personally was changing the way they lived and loved one another. They didn't, they didn't get together and, and decide that they needed to change the way they're doing their life so they can grow the church, right? There was no committee that got together and said, okay, new church growth strategy, share everything. 
Paul didn't get up and make a speech about proper church conduct and how we need to treat one another. He didn't. You can go look at it. I'm telling the truth. Okay? This incredible world-altering movement happened because a small group of believers obeyed what Jesus told them to do. You remember what he said to do? What was the last thing Jesus said? Look at it with me at Luke 24, verse 36 through 49. This is the last time Jesus was with the disciples. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and, they th- and, th- and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do, you doubts, ar- why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And he gave them a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. But stay in the city. They waited. Jesus said stay. And they waited. And while they waited, they prayed and they worshipped. And then the Holy Spirit comes as promised by Jesus. And as they received the Holy Spirit's, their lives were forever changed. And they were not the same people anymore because now the Holy Spirit was in them. And their focus was not on themselves or their needs. There was a radical shift that happened in their life. And they didn't make it. They didn't decide we're going to be different people. All they did was obeyed what God said, which was wait. Wait and I will do something. And he did. And because of what they were learning, by experience, they were transformed. They were no longer concerned with themselves. Their eyes were open to the needs of the people around them. They were seeing things like Jesus saw them. They were seeing what Jesus saw when he was among his people. They saw the needs. The Holy Spirit pointed it out to them because now the Holy Spirit's in them just like it was in Jesus. And they go, oh, okay. And they took care of one another. They discover the joy that's found in knowing Jesus. And all of that growth started them with doing nothing but obeying Jesus' command to wait. They just waited. There's a lot more that the Spirit wants to do in my life and in your life. But the first step for us to allow that to accomplish is to do what Jesus has told you to do. Whatever the last thing is that Jesus has told you to do, do it. And you might think, yeah, but this is going to be a sacrifice. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes doing what Jesus has called you to do is really, really hard. Really hard. But it's the best thing that can happen for you or those people that God's calling you to. We don't get to pick and choose. Okay? I don't know what God's calling you specifically to do. But I know that it falls under the umbrella of these three things that we've just talked about. Whatever it is that God's calling you to, it's going to fall under that umbrella. 
As we abide, we are drawn to blessing others. And from those relationships come real community. It's the response. It's the result of our personal growth is that community develops. We're drawn to one another because we are no longer, I'm not just will anymore. I'm will plus the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And as I'm allowing Him to work, my life is being changed. Listen, a good litmus test for us to determine how we're doing spiritually is allow, to allow God to reveal how we're doing in those areas. To say, God, how am I doing? That person that texted me or asked, was asking the Holy Spirit, God, what, it, what is it in my life that I need to change? Because I keep hearing from the pulpit that there are some changes that need to be made in my life. And I was so appreciative and I was so encouraged. And my hope, my prayer is that all of us are doing that on a regular basis, that we're, we're approaching Scripture, we're letting the Holy Spirit speak to us through it, and we're saying, okay, God, I see what Your Word is saying. How, am I, how are You calling me to apply that to my life? How, am, how are You going to use this to make me more like You? In a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, we're going to have a, a special service. We do this every year where God's going to kind of roll out what our plans are for the next, next season of our church, whether it's a year study or whatever. That's typically how it works, but I'm not confined to that. But as we go through that process, God is going to be trying to speak to all of us, not just to me, but to all of us. And my hope and my prayer is that as we are preparing for that, that we are prayerfully considering what God's call is for each of us. You know, we walked through all this today. We talked about abiding and we talked about blessing. We talked about being committed to community. And I don't want us... I don't want us to just be a church that just does church. I've done that. There's no life in it. And a lot of you have experienced that and there's no life in it. Because instead of engaging the Holy Spirit, we're just hanging out, pretending to be okay. Right? There's no life in that. So, as we're approaching this, look, this is the time of year where everybody makes New Year's resolutions, right? Don't do that. Please, please don't make a commitment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to abide. For the next week, just abide. Approach the Word every day. Whenever, whatever time works for you. Get along with God. Study the Scripture and ask God what He wants to do with your life. With the right now, with the tomorrow, with the next year. God, what are you speaking to me? That's all I want you to do. Look, we cannot be the church if we're not abiding. Period. Abiding is the process in which we come to know God, that we are transformed in His likeness. And if we're not abiding, we're not being the church. And this is, not, I, this is not Will saying, I'm not nitpicking anybody. Okay, I think we've covered that real well. I don't know specifics about your life, but I know that, the God, that God has continued to put the same message on my heart and on Glenn's heart for the last several years. Because at the end of the day, this is who we are. It's what we do. We abide. We go to God. We spend time with Him, we ask Him to reveal Himself, and then we obey what He says. And that's it. That's what a gathering place church does. Okay? That's it. That's what I got for today. Let's pray together. God, I love this church so much, and I know that you do too, God. And I'm so thankful that we, that we have members that are, that, are, that are asking hard questions and saying, God, what, is this, what does this look like? Pastor, what does this look like? God, it's my hope that that as we study your word, that you reveal yourself to us and that we come to know you in a way that we haven't known you before. That you show us a way of living that we haven't experienced before and that it's not us doing something new. It's not us creating a new work. 
it's us just waiting and obeying what you say. That it's us knowing you by experience as we walk with you. God, I know it, it, you reveal yourself in Scripture to be this way, and I know it from my own experience that you want to speak into each of our lives in a way that we can understand so that we can know you. So it's not about getting a blessing. It's not about um, building a big church. It's about each of us individually knowing you. God, give us the desire for that. Father, we want to know you. And we want to know you because we love you. And we love you because we've become your people. We've begun to know you. Father, continue that process in our lives.